Productions. Due to suggestive adult themes and dialogue, this podcast is intended for adults. In other words, the truth is ugly, so we get ugly right along with it. Everything we say is out of love for ourselves, our people, and our community. Sincerely, The Green Route Podcast. The Green Route Season 2, Episode 8. As you can see, you got your girl here. So, solo today. Um, but yeah, I think I told y'all when we revamped The Green Route that... Um, we were going to do this in sprints, right? Eight week sprints. And for a few reasons, number one, that allows me to um, take a damn break from the news cycle, because if y'all pay attention to the world, shit is crazy. And um, it's real quick, like it can real quick get you depressed. So, um, so yeah, it allows me to take a little break, but it also allows us to get our next set of guests and co-hosts together. So from here on out, uh, eight week sprints, um, like I mentioned, when we revamp this thing and then episode eight will be just a quick run through, um, a wrap up, some highlights from our guests from the previous seven episodes. Um, and really just sending y'all on a two week hiatus. Right. So yeah, welcome to the show. Um, let me see what I'm drinking for my cocktail today. So I don't have anything fancy. Um, let me, put that out there right now. But when I came to Dallas, I learned about what these people call a ranch water. And this shit is good. And a few reasons why, because it keeps you real lean. Like it ain't that extra sugar and bullshit in your drink. So it's literally um, Topo Chico or whatever off brand mineral water you want to use. Tequila, shout out to Marve Morrow, who brought this incredible tequila that I think um, is uh, the Rocks brand, Dwayne Johnson, I think it's his brand. And then you just throw some uh, lime juice and some tahine. Uh, Californians, Texans, y'all know what's up. Uh, Mexican cousins, y'all know what's up. So you throw some tahine in there and um, yeah, you have a ranch water. So all the calories you have come from your tequila, which as a 35-year-old woman who is constantly trying to unfluff her body, this is perfect for me. This is perfect. Um, so yeah. All right. So I'm going to get into uh, our five stories that I'm covering for the week and I'm going to get y'all out of here. So give me one second. I'm going to take a sip of my drink first. Mm. Fantastic. I also want to give a shout out to all of my guests that I had on the green route for the revamp, the launch of season two. Um, y'all have no idea. Just how grateful I am um, to have people see the vision and want to get in on it, right? Want to help out. So um, my line sister, first of all, Laura Wise, who is just incredible. She is the founder and owner of Content Wise Communications. She's done incredible work, incredible work with branding and um, specifically for businesses and for companies who who want to sell to a new generation, who want to sell to people who aren't here for the bullshit. Um, she is here for brands that actually have a meaning behind what they're doing. So Laura Wise was my first guest. Um, after that, I had the absolutely brilliant, great Black Century um, artist, both visual and recording. Um, he's also now the co-producer of this here show, which I'm so grateful for. He is incredible in, in so many ways and like definitely like just a piece of my heart just walking around on earth. <laughs> so shout out to Great Black Century for 
coming on and just talking good shit. And he will be a reoccurring guest. I do want to let y'all know that, that Great Black Century, he don't know it yet. He's actually finding out right now with y'all, but he will be a reoccurring guest because we got so much good feedback. Also had Latoya Henry, who is the, she was at the time the managing editor of Dallas Weekly. She is now the vice president of Dallas Weekly. So shout out to our girl for the promotion. So I had Latoya here with me. She was absolutely impeccable. I had Anthony Anderson, who is a trainer, um, a shaman of sorts, if you will, but also the owner um, New Afia, of New Afia, um, a, a company that really focuses on holistic care. And while he was here, we did talk about even me, right? And me finding some type of balance between constantly having to watch the news cycle and take in a bunch of bullshit and making sure that my mental and emotional, spiritual and physical health were good. So shout out to Anthony. We then had the impeccable, incredible um, Reggie Calhoun Jr., who is the founder of RPA College. And he gave us a bunch of insight on what was going on with Deion Sanders. You have to remember that he trained under Deion Sanders. Um, his dad still works with Deion Sanders. And so he gave us a lot of insight as far as the Jackson State situation, but also gave us insight into what he's trying to build over in Colorado. And and Reggie also talked to us about what RPA is doing and that they're preparing these kids for, you know, if they don't go to the pros for what their next step is, for how to build some type of career just in case the pros don't work out. And I think that's such a big deal because um, coming from L.A. and going to a high school that was like sports central, like all of all of these kids thought they were going pro. And when they didn't, they didn't really know what to do with themselves. So we appreciate the work that Reggie is doing. He also filled us in on NIL, um, name, image, likeness. And taught us a lot about the new laws um, that is impacting NCAA uh, student athletes and really what these what these athletes and what their families need to be doing um, to make sure that these kids aren't being taken advantage of. So, yeah, I'm just I'm super grateful for, you know, all of my guests um, that I had. And I want to make sure I didn't forget anybody. Hold on. I'm going to my list right now to make sure I got everybody everybody where they were supposed to be. I got Reggie. Uh, oh, I already, I, look, how did I forget B Nation? Oh my God, man. So B Nation is a podcaster, producer, all the things. And she has actually been incredibly helpful with helping me put this new format together. So thank you to B Nation for coming on and talking through um, really how to make your passion your full-time gig. So that was super dope. And then lastly, of course, I mentioned Marve who brought me the great tequila, but Marve is also a personal finance guru. And we talked a lot about um, unemployment. We talked a lot about ri rising cost of living and how millennials and Gen Zers in particular are really struggling with, um, you know, figuring out what to do with the little bit of money that we have. Um, at this point, if you're not rich, like, kind of poor. The middle class is kind of disappearing. So Marve was super helpful and um, helping us to look through that and set our goals so we know exactly what we want to do. Um, one thing I can say is Marve had me thinking like, shit, do I need to like sell my house and go buy some land and let the homies build homes on it, like build a little commune? Like it had me, it had me thinking for a minute that maybe it's worth it to, to get some type of like community structure in order. Um, 
But we'll see. We'll see. Y'all, if y'all interested in joining my commune and you have skills that would be beneficial to the community, hit me up at uh, Marlissa at GreenRoutePod.com. Um, I'm down to go to Iowa. I, I think Utah is kind of racist, but some white people like me like they they think I'm OK. I, w- I was always too white for the black kids. Um, so, yeah, I might I might be OK. Um, but, yeah, so shout out to all my guests. I appreciate y'all. Um, and, yeah, let's get into these five stories. All right. So, number one, y'all, um, we're we going to start with something funny and end with something funnier, in my opinion. Um, so the first story I have is uh, about the Senate and how with all the things they have to worry about, uh, including their little brothers and sisters down the street, the House not passing a spending bill and looking at a potential government shutdown because there's so much drama in the House right now. They are um, focused on Pennsylvania Senator, Junior Senator, John Fetterman and his hoodies. And I wore a hoodie on today's show for this very reason. Matter of fact, I might put this whole on and leave it on um, Trayvon Martin style for the rest of the episode. But they have been so focused on his attire. Now, I do want to be fair, right? I do want to point out that John Fetterman has absolutely broken some kind of traditional unspoken. When I'm not going to even say unspoken, there is a dress code. Um, within the Senate. So has John Fetterman fucked with the dress code? Yes. You will probably remember him because when he com- campaigned, um, yeah, he just won the last senator election in Pennsylvania. So this had to be recent. When he campaigned, he did the whole thing in like a zip zip up hoodie and like some basketball shorts. It was very uh, blue collar. It was very, hey, I know what you're going through. I get it. You know, I have to worry about a gallon of milk. It was given that it was given that. So I don't know if that was a brand some publicist created for him. You know, I I can't be sure. But we can say that the man is consistent. He's absolutely consistent in that even after he won, he has gone into the Senate chambers and and kept his same uniform, his same wardrobe. So oftentimes you will see John Fetterman in the chamber or even in the halls of Congress with his hoodie, his basketball shorts, you know, he may wear a pair of like Dickies or something with a little zip up Dickies jacket. It It is very untraditional by the standards of like what Congress members um, would, would have on. So there became, there, there started to be a lot of conversation about, hey, this is inappropriate. This is ridiculous. Marjorie Taylor Greene called him, um, I believe, a slob, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or no, I'm sorry. It was a political commentator, commentator that called him a slob. But Marjorie Taylor Greene has something to say to him as well. But he's now started to go back and forth. Well, just the other day, Senate Majority uh, Leader Chuck Schumer came out and was like, hey, We are not going to keep having this conversation. And he announced that the sergeant of arms staff would no longer be enforcing the dress code in the Senate chamber. This is a big deal for John Fetterman in in particular, because, number one, it's like a, you know, boohoo sad story to the people who were saying something about his 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 attire. But also the fact that now he can like 
actually enter into the gallery, enter into the chambers to be able to vote, you would see him like voting from doorways so that he wasn't found in um, to be going against. Right. Like the kind of decorum that was set around dress code. So the new rule says that um, that senators on the go and I'm putting that in quotes on the go will now be allowed to have a more casual um more casual attire. They can wear sneakers. They can wear gym attire. And I want to say, what did it say? It says sneakers, gym attire, and um, hoodies. Hoodies was the big one, hence the hoodie here. So, I mean, at this point, I feel like, sure, there is a such thing as professionalism, But we even have to worry about that word because it's been so loaded for so long. And anyone who has worked in corporate America will tell you that oftentimes when you hear the word professionalism, what it actually means is take pieces of yourself off in order order to be more palatable to the people in power. So I can appreciate this. I also feel like I said it on live this morning. You can like dress up a pig and put lipstick on it, but it's still going to be a goddamn pig. The fact that we still have congressmen and women who are unwilling to help the American people, but rather spend their times fighting amongst each other over little issues, over politics, instead of being true representatives of the constituents who sent them there. I can care less what that man has on. Is he getting the job done? Because it's apparent that the people in the suits ain't doing much. So maybe we should hire the people in the hoodies at this point. That's all I'm saying. All right, let me get off my goddamn high horse and move to the second story. Um, all right, this is great. So let's go affirmative action. And I know we haven't really talked about this since the summer when the Supreme Court did what they did, gutting all the goodness. But um, picture Edward Bloom. So Edward Bloom is the same guy who brought the first case about affirmative action um, with uh, Amy. I cannot remember Amy's last name, but she was from University of Texas at Austin. And she was mad that she didn't get in as a legacy. Um, And she claimed that she didn't get in because black students were let in via affirmative action and they took her spot. Now, when you look through all the paperwork, come to find out Amy's, Amy, I'm not her IQ, Amy's, uh, what is it called? GPA was about average. Her her test scores were about average. So when you really looked at the people who got in over her, only a handful of those had either a lower GPA or lower test scores than her. And they were let in based on kind of the complete holistic package that they submitted to the university. Not to mention Edward Bloom messed up in getting two. It wasn't just Amy. There was actually another um another accuser at the time from the University of Texas at Austin who ended up dropping out, but he went and got two like Southern white women. Right. And so not to say that they didn't have a case, which we come to find out they didn't. But when you look at the optics of the situation, you do, you do have to be careful because what happens in that case is it just looks like a bunch of, or two white women just crying wolf. So when it came down to it, you know, That case didn't go through. The Supreme Court uh, overturned it. He got sent back to wherever he came from. He came back, though, and he came back smart. He came back with 
a gaggle of Asian American students who felt or who he sold the story that they didn't get into their university of choice because of affirmative action, because affirmative action was letting too many black kids in. This was brilliant in a few ways. And it's, it's that evil genius, right? Because when you look at the demographic that he went and got to back him on this, we do know that education is incredibly high on the list of um, priorities, right? You and, and what I do often, y'all, is um, I look at comedy specials. So one of the best ways, in my opinion, to learn about another culture is to look at their comedians because it's one of the it's one of the lat like the few and last art forms where people I think can be pretty honest about what it is. And oftentimes they are drawing from their personal experience. So if you look at black comedians, you will hear things that happen in the black community in a way that's like palatable, right? It's digestible, but it is very true. So yeah, I tend to watch comedy specials from people of different backgrounds because I genuinely, I genuinely want to understand like, what, what's your what's your plight, right? What's your experience? So I happen to be watching um, Patriot Act on Netflix. If y'all don't know, um, Hassan Minaj, he is just incredible on on so many levels. Like he ah, he's just brilliant. But he does these really good in depth explainers about just things going on in culture, society, business, politics, all of that. So he actually did a special about affirmative action and the fact that this group that Edward Bloom had um, engaged in the case that ultimately went up to the Supreme Court, how they in particular were prime like bait for for Edward Bloom and how it would work because you taking two white women to the Supreme Court is like, oh, well, they're probably just like mad that, you know, they didn't get their latte on time. But if you take another minority to complain about another minority, all of a sudden you might be on to something. So I'm like, OK, so he takes them to the Supreme Court. Right. And there are two schools involved. There's Harvard and there's the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The Supreme Court ends up overturning affirmative action. Now, Edward Bloom has been working on this for Probably since he came out of his mama. I'm gonna be, I feel like Edward Bloom was born and was just like, black people are getting privileges? Nah, we can't have like he was like shaking his bottle in protest. You know what I mean? So he has been working on this for years. So I'm gonna be honest, I thought once affirmative action got overturned, he was done. I really thought he was going to be done. Not so, children. Not so. He then, I guess, took himself on a nice little vacation. Dusted himself off, was like, cool, I'm back in the fight. Went after a venture capital firm in, in Atlanta. This firm has a grant that they award to people who enter a competition, specifically women of color who are business owners. The reason this venture capital firm even does this is because we know and numbers show and have proven time and time again that only a percentage of a percent of all venture capital, of all of this investment, go to women of color who have started and founded businesses. So this, this company, this venture capital, capital firm, and I'll actually look it up to tell y'all the name. 
they are just trying to do really what affirmative what affirmative action was meant to do to level the playing field and that hey do you have an idea that makes sense could it work do you have a good business plan could the operation could you actually pull the operation off yeah all right cool i'm going to take a chance on you that allows you to take a chance on yourself and investing you that doesn't happen so this whole the whole point of this competition was to level the playing field and actually let me look it up real quick hold on Atlanta Venture Capital Firm um, Edward. Oh, the name of it. It's called the Fearless Fund. Fearless Fund, which I I love that, right? So, so yeah, he he went after them just months after he won the affirmative action case um, in the Supreme Court. Now, we should point out that they did lawyer up. Um, Ben Crump actually joined their legal team because a lot of legal scholars and analysts believe that what he was doing was testing the waters to say, okay, will this work? Do I even have a case? And if so, that means that I could potentially go after other um, competitions or grants or whatever that are leaving out, you know, anyone, but specifically, obviously, like, white and Asian people apparently is is his focus. So goes after them, that's still up in the air. But then we find out this this week that the same group is the Students for Fair Admissions. That's the name of the group. They are now going after the military academies in the United States. So think West Point in particular. Um, And I'm sure that West Point is just the first. So they are now suing West Point so that they will remove any racial um, consideration when it comes to admissions. The problem though, and, and the reason West Point wasn't included is because, well, in the affirmative action part is because number one, like when you really think about it, those four academies are just completely separate things. And that's why they were excluded because their admission process is so different than any other college of, or university in this nation, if you've never, um, like, for example, I applied to uh, Air Force Academy out of high school, and it's just a completely different process than turning in your application, writing your little essays, doing your fast. No, it is like nominations, recommendations. It's so different. And the, the whole point of these academies, right, are to produce leaders that will end up rising through the ranks when it comes to our national defense. So it should be different, in my opinion. So they were excluded. Well, Eddie didn't like that. And Eddie went and told his homies, the, the uh, Students for Fair Admissions Council or group or whatever, that he didn't like it. And so now they're picketing, not literally, but Theoretically, right, <laughs> picketing outside of West Point. Um, I'm interested to see where this goes because, like I said, the admission pr- the admissions process for these academies are so different anyway that it it really makes you wonder, like, how do you how do you change one thing, specifically the racial component, without saying, oh, okay, well now there can't be any type of privilege given to any group including if the president of the United States nominates someone to go to the academy. That ended up being the big debate around what happened with affirmative action. You went after what was supposed to help level the playing field. What you didn't go after 
was say legacy admissions, which has always kept the playing field uneven and unlevel. So I think that Edward could be in for some blowback if he's not careful. Because to go after affirmative action, but not legacy admissions means to go after groups that have already been disenfranchised without going after the groups who have already always had the power and have used that power to make sure that their children get the best seat in the house. So, again, I'm on my soapbox, but but that's what I see. You can't you can't say that you have to remove how race has impacted someone's life and their background and their experience without saying that. Hey, I can't give you any type of privilege over here, but I can give privilege to the nominee that a senior member of Congress gave to West Point. Well, that's all of a sudden an unfair advantage as well, because nothing you've done has actually earned you that privilege outside of knowing that person. The same way you're saying that my race shouldn't earn me any privilege for being born black, period. That like that that's just the way that it's it it has to boil down. So I'm interested to see what happens here. Um, I think that venture capital uh, uh, firm <clears throat> is going to push back pretty heavy um, because he is, I believe, also planning to go after DEI programs at um, at at companies now. Um, so yeah, I mean this this guy is this is his life's work when you really think about it. Like Edward Bloom is going to be known as the guy who continue to take from people who have been taken from for generations <laughs> um, within this country. So we'll see. We will see. Um, what else I got y'all? Uh, okay. So let's talk um, what's happening with Hunter Biden real quick. So Hunter Biden is expected um, either today or, or later this week to plead not guilty now to uh, his gun charge, his federal gun charge. Um, a little background on that. So in 2018, Hunter Biden purchased a revolver. And to purchase that revolver, he had to fill out some federal documents. When he filled out those federal documents, Hunter Biden stated that he was not um, a drug user, that he was not a user of any type of illegal substance. So he gets his little revolver, he's running around the world with his revolver, and his daddy becomes president. <laughs> uh, and all of a sudden, he's, you know, even more in the spotlight than he was when his father was everything else, including a vice president. Not to mention videos of Hunter Biden start surfacing of him doing said illegal drugs uh, with ladies of leisure, right? So Hunter Biden has 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 lived life for sure. Well, he thought Hunter and his legal team thought that he was going to sashay into court. Uh, this may have been about a month ago now and get a plea deal for both the felony charge on the, the pew pew, as well as two tax evasion charges. Um, the felony pew pew charge had to do not only with him, lying on that document, but also being in being in possession of the firearm while being addicted to an illegal substance. Then he had, I believe it was two um, tax charges where he, he failed to pay taxes on, you know, a shit ton of money. So he thought he was going to walk in there and get a plea deal. Well, the judge was like, hold on. Um, 
y'all done put this whole deal together and not ran it past me. How is this going to work? What's covered in this deal? What's up? She started asking questions, making them actually go back and say, wait, this thing might go to trial. That's exactly what's going to happen because a special counsel was actually um, assigned to the case to investigate Hunter Biden. So now he has to plead not guilty um, because it looks like this thing is going to go to trial. And the first indictment came, was it this week or late last week for the pew pew charges? Um, so it's the same thing, right? It is you lied on a federal form um, to get this weapon, but also you're in possession of the weapon. Now, this morning, somebody has sent me a message and was like, um, you know, look up how many people uh, have a charge like or get caught and don't get charged with that. And OK, I, I feel you. But I also feel like look at how many people get away with sometimes literal murder because they are connected to someone very powerful. I'm not saying that I want to see Hunter Biden locked up, but I do want to see the justice system, the criminal justice system, do what it's supposed to do. And that he is investigated, he is given a fair trial, and he gets the same treatment, punishment, whatever, as any of us would get for said crimes. That's all I'm saying. Because for too long, we have seen far too many people almost, I mean, we can go back to the whole legacy admissions thing, right? We have seen far too many people ride their privilege right out of trouble. And and one person in particular, I won't say their names, but when they finally get a little bit of act right, when there's finally a little bit of justice, it feels unfair to them because they've been able to skate all of their lives. So Hunter Biden is expected to plead not guilty um, to the pew pew charges. We're still waiting to hear what's going on with his tax charges. Um, but yeah, and and then on top of that, right, you have to remember that the House, um, Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, did go on and approve for, I think it's three committees to open um, an impeachment inquiry into his father, Joe Biden. And that has to do with um, questioning whether Joe Biden had enriched himself, I'm sorry, um, through the dealing, the business dealings with foreign, <clears throat> with foreign partners um, via Hunter Biden. So it, it's kind of crazy to think about, but like we really do have our leaders like on, on like on the, on the stand right now, like Ken Paxton just got acquitted of 16 impeachment charges, right? Trump has been indicted. What is this number four for him? Rudy Giuliani is up in the air. Biden and his son, like, bro, it, it's, it's, it's showing that what regular people have been saying for years that this shit is corrupt and it's terrible, that it actually is corrupt and it actually is terrible. Um, but it is nice to see, you know, the justice system doing what it's supposed to do for anyone, for anyone. That's all like <laughs> that. That's all I got. And I get it. He may be a target because his daddy is the president. But I mean, my boy, like you also have the privileges from your daddy being president. So you also have to weigh that. You have to weigh that. Um. All right. Story number four, y'all. And this actually has to do with Biden as well. But um, a new poll from um, Harvard, new survey from Harvard 
is showing that Biden in hypothetical matchups is trailing not only Donald Trump, but Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. We said back in uh, 2020, right, that people didn't vote for Biden. They voted against Trump. And I think this is exactly what we are seeing here. So this new poll, um, it it took a poll of about 2,500 people, a little less than that. And someone actually asked me earlier uh, this week about the poll. And I was letting them know that I did look into um, the survey method and the demographics that were looked for, how things were weighed. And so they did their best in this poll to create a a kind of a microcosm, if you will, of the American population. So the poll showed that Biden trailed um, Trump in a 2024 matchup. Trump took 44% of support. Biden took 40%. And... I think the other was that that would be 14% uh, or 16%. They were undecided. So it's like, okay, that, that actually makes a lot of sense because based on, you know, what we're hearing, I think, you know, once we talk to people, Trump is the clear, clear front runner for the GOP nomination. In fact, he's skipping the second debate (laughs) because he was like, um, they know me <laughs> like I don't, these people, these people don't, they don't need to know nothing else about me. I'm in the news every day. You know, Trump was very clear that like, yo, these people, they know me. Don't, don't worry about it. So now he's about to go meet with the auto workers, um, of America and attempt to get their support because he actually lost that demographic by six points, um, last time he ran. So Again, I'm not here to tell y'all who to support, even who I support. What I will say is that this is just smart politicking on on behalf of Trump. This is just smart politicking. Like there's no need for him to go to that debate because he says what he wants on the Internet anyway. He doesn't need the name recognition. And to be honest, like he's just going to end up arguing with people the same way he did. You might as well go out there and try to get some votes for himself. So Biden lost that one. But then they did a matchup between Biden and Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley took 41 percent. Biden took 37. I believe. I believe it was 37. And I can look and get that for sure. Um Yes. So Biden took 37 percent. Now, Nikki Haley was impressive. Right. When you think about her during the first debate, um, she said some things that, in my opinion, were decent, even though other people saw them as problematic, including, hey, we should probably make sure, especially as our members of Congress begin to age, that cognitively they are there, that they can, you know, perform the duties of the job. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I believe that Mitch McConnell is proving it time and time again, every time the man freezes. Right. So Nikki Haley has um, has has actually done pretty well for herself, in my opinion. You have to also remember that Nikki Haley is part of kind of that, you know, newcomer class that a lot of GOP donors are like, hey, this is this is different. This gives me diversity. It gives me different than kind of the like the plain white guy that the GOP usually sets forward for their presidential nominee. Biden lost to her as well. 
The one that surprised me, though, can't lie. Well, Nikki Haley surprised me, but the one that really surprised me was Tim Scott. For a few reasons. Number one, he's black. Number two, Tim Scott has been kind of a like, kind of like a the guy on campus at school that's like, wear my hug all the time. Like the dude that's always asking, like, oh, where are you going? Where my hug? Like he gave me that, right? He wasn't, he didn't have a cool factor, which is very awkward, I think, for a lot of us who have been around like black men. Like they some of the coolest motherfuckers on earth. So to watch Tim Scott like walk around was kind of weird. Like my dude, what music you have playing in your head? Because that's not how they really be walking. But the third thing is that you have to remember Tim Scott has come under fire recently for not being married, not being married as a man who calls himself an evangelical Christian. So a few weeks ago, Tim Scott um, started pushing back on wealthy GOP donors because they were like, hey, yeah, we want to donate to your campaign. Again, Tim Scott was considered part of that freshman class where he's different you know, from the from the straight white man that's always up there. He's a Christian evangelical. Uh, he was a, a virgin at one point when he came into the public eye. He has since lost his virginity, lady. So relax. Um, I said ladies, but, you know. Um, but yeah, so so he's been under fire recently. He came out and was like, you know, it's none of my business. I can't believe that the Republican Party is this regressive. All of that. Then he was like, oh, I do have a girlfriend now. And if I win, I'm going to introduce her to uh, to the public. <laughs> All right, Tim. All right. So in the hypothetical 2024 matchup between Joe Biden and Tim Scott, Joe Biden even lost to Tim Scott. Tim Scott took 39 percent while Joe Biden took 37 percent. And I am just trying to figure out. If Joe Biden even has a chance at this point, because my dude, you are losing to not only the front runner, but two people who aren't even close to being in second and third to the front runner. That's just crazy. Now, the poll did point out that Joe Biden performed better than Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy and former vice president Mike Pence. So it wasn't all an L on on Joe Biden's. Um, on Joe Biden's behalf. But yeah, I think I think 2024 is setting us up or these polls are setting us up for what 2024 has to bring. And I remember telling somebody earlier this year, may have been late last year. I was like, there's a very good chance that Trump can become president again. And I remember her being like, ain't no way. Ain't no way America is going to allow this to happen. You saw what I was like, girl, you crazy. Are you nuts? Matter of fact, there's a neuroscientist who just got reported as saying stupidity <laughs> is going to be the biggest threat <laughs> to America than anything else is going to be stupid. A neuroscientist said this. So I remember telling her like, girl, you you just wait. You you just wait. We're already like, you know, putting on hoodies and sweatpants in Congress, remember idiocracy, right? Like, and then Crocs end up becoming our favorite shoe. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that is all I'm saying. So yeah. Um, all right, y'all. What else do I have here? Uh so yeah, let's talk about the Fed. 
Let's talk about the Fed. Um, so the Fed decided to uh, steady rates today. So I mentioned this morning that <clears throat> they were going to make a decision whether or not to raise interest rates again. Um, I think we saw our 14th hike. I think we saw a 14th with the last one. Um, and at this point, you know, lending rates are higher than they've been in decades. Um, in some cases, I know for sure the mortgage lending rate is just out of line. Um, but yeah, they they decided to to slow down on on raising of the hikes. Here's why, though. Apparently, the Fed needs more data to figure out how the other hikes in the past, the, the ones that they just did, how the other hikes have impacted the economy. But I think all of us can, those of us who are living regular life can pretty much tell them how the hikes are impacting us. Um, I don't know anyone who is willing to take the rate, the mortgage rate right now on a new home. Um, auto loans are are insane. Um, if you got credit cards, thank God I paid all my consumer debt off. But if you got credit cards, you're probably struggling there. So we know what it is, not to mention that it's getting more expensive for companies to borrow when that happens, right? They have to begin to cut their expenses. What is the biggest expense that most companies have, unless they are capital intensive, um, it's headcount. And so we are seeing jobless claims go up. We're seeing the number of open jobs go down. Um, and that actually, that, that makes me think about What's the Australian property developer? Um, is his name Tim Tim Grunner? Tim Gruner. It was the same guy who talked about the reason millennials can't afford houses is because we eating too much avocado toast and drinking Starbucks. Like he said that shit back in maybe 2020. Um, so he got on stage last week at um, like this property summit, this property owner summit or property development summit, and talked about how employees are too empowered right now and that pretty much employers need to set the record straight. And the way they do that is by, um, is by putting, putting them in their place and like raising the unemployment rate. So he talked about how he wanted to see unemployment go up, I believe he said 40 to 50% um, as a reminder to employees that they should be happy to have jobs, that they're lucky to be here and that, you know, it's not the company that is getting value out of them. It's the other way around. So, you know, we we are literally seeing what this guy said he wanted to see happen through the fact that companies cannot borrow as cheap as they used to um, because of the lending rate hikes. So the Fed decided to hold um, on the hikes today. They did, though, say that um, there may be another hike coming in after September. So they didn't say exactly when um, they said after September, but they also did admit that um, that what they've done has definitely taken a toll on the economy. So the whole goal of this, right, was uh, economic easing. So it was to slow the economy down. So remember when when the government pumped all of that cash into the American economy, um, not to mention a lot of us were sitting at home. We were saving a shit ton of money. So we had money to burn or we could quit those like 
ridiculous, you know, ridiculously stressful jobs and kind of take less because there was more work-life balance and we realized we didn't need as much to live on. Um, so yeah, there, there was a lot of empowerment of employees. Um, well, that led to, I think, some unforeseen consequences, including employees, like I said, leaving jobs that they no longer wanted, being able to switch jobs, move and get higher you know, increases than they would have gotten had they stayed at their current company. But also um, you had employees that was like, I'm demanding work life balance now. Like, I need you to make sure I can work from home a few days a week, if not forever. Um, and not only did companies not like that, and we, we could definitely spend an episode talking about that. In fact, Marve said a lot of good shit about the return to work policies that we see. Um, but you know, these companies also have these commercial leases and, you know, commercial real estate, those owners, it's a lot to own those buildings to keep them upright if you don't have bodies in seats, if you don't have bodies in chairs over there. And so there was a big, big push because of the rise in vacancies in, in a lot of the major cities. Um, some of y'all re- may remember, I believe it was the 2022 State of the Union, where Biden said <laughs> out of his mouth that we needed to get American workers back to work so that they could feel the great downtown cities of the United States again. And that let me know what it was like that because to even put that line in a speech, right, like it lets me know that there had been a lot of conversation from probably very large commercial property owners who needed companies, businesses, restaurants to be back in office so that people can spend money and therefore continue to, you know, make them money. Um, So, yeah, so all of this is directly affected or a derivative of um, affected by or derivative of what the Fed was doing with these rate hikes to slow things down so that they can shift right a lot of a lot of these power dynamics, but also um, so that they can make sure that like y'all ain't out here quitting jobs. Because if you do, there's not another one for you and then you're going to be homeless. And we know we don't care about the homeless in this country. So that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, right now we're good. Um, One stat I did want to give y'all that um, the bank's baseline borrowing range right now is between 5.25 and 5.5%. That is literally more expensive than than, than the last 22 years. So when you start seeing these companies cutting jobs, cutting heads, even um, condensing their locations, right? Saying, hey, if you're not in a major hub city where we have a large building, you either got to move or you off the payroll. All of that is is directly impacted by or derivative of this. Um, So yeah, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about y'all is the strike. So United Auto Workers... um, yeah, it's funny. The last time I was in L.A., I actually was leaving LAX and I saw the the writer strike and the actor strike had both started at this point. But I was leaving L.A., going to my grandma's house, and um, I saw a billboard. And the billboard was a message from the United Auto Workers. This shit was gangster as hell. A message from the United Auto Workers to the big bosses saying, we stand with the writers and the actors and bargain labor 
do not make a strike. It was like just words. It wasn't no cute pictures and nothing like that. It was just this big ass billboard right at LAX. And it was kind of perfect because um, I think it was on Century. And if you know LA, you know, like coming out of the airport, like Century is going to put you right on the city street to take you just about anywhere you want to go. So regardless of who you are, you've probably been on Century when you're leaving LAX. So there is a chance that some pretty big and important people would have seen that that billboard. So I thought it was gangster's hell. I should have taken a picture of it. Um, and then here we are. So a couple of things ab about the strike, why it's even happening. Um, this is the big three, by the way. This is the first time in union history that the union has struck all three of the big three at the same time. This is the first time in history. So shout out to collective bargaining um, especially given these companies are making record profits and they are not sharing with the people who do the actual work. I've never understood that. Never understood it. So this is the first time in history that they're doing this. What the demands are. Um, originally, the, the demand, I believe, was a 40 percent increase. They have taken that down to 36 over a four year period. They want a 32 hour work week, which if anybody out there is like is 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 here for this you should be supporting the auto workers the united auto workers because a lot of us have been calling for this for years and i think covid quarantine in particular showed us that a lot of us be at these jobs doing a bunch of nothing when we could be at the house putting on a load of laundry or picking them kids up from school instead of sitting here trying to look like we busy so they are asking for a 32 hour work week, knowing that they can be just as productive in 32 weeks as they have been in 40. I love that. Um, they are also asking for new hires, newer hires to be captured and included under the pension plan. Um, I don't I, I didn't have a pension when I was in in corporate. I was originally covered under it. And then they resent our offer letters and said, that they were just going to up our um, our 401k matching percentage. So, I mean, the fact that they even have a pension pension is great. And I do think pensions need to be brought back um, for sure, especially when you have these people that are giving, you know, 20, 25, 30, sometimes 40 years to a company only to find out that they haven't saved enough in order to, you know, enjoy their retirement. Absolutely not. Um, and then the last thing that they're asking for, or at least the last thing that I know that they're asking for is to end tiered pay, um, which has meant, you know, new employees are getting paid pennies versus what the um, the more tenured employees are. And it's not necessarily saying like, oh, I'm going to come in making what a 30 year employee makes is no, it's just saying like, pay me what I'm worth on on day one. Right. Stop this whole if you were. Uh, if you were hired in 2023, here's your pay scale. They want to make sure that everyone is <clears throat> is on like the same scale and has the same opportunity for growth because they've started in the same place at the um, on the same scale. So so, yeah, the, the strike is in um, is in place now. Right now, there are only three manufacturing facilities that um that have that have been under strikes. So um, let me and actually let me get the list for y'all because 
I thought it was I thought it was pretty strategic the way that um, the way that the union leaders did it. Here we go. Strikes at three. So they did one from each of the big three. And hold on. Where is it? Sure, I'm gonna have to find it. Um, but yeah, so it's one, it's one from each of the the big three that they started the strike at. <clears throat> so this is a, a 10, a 10 day strike. Um, but the union leaders have warned that, you know, if there aren't progressions in talks and negotiations that, um, yeah, workers are prepared to, to expand the strike. Um, I, we should point out that these workers are expected to make about $500 per week on the picket line. So they are still getting something, but you know, for a lot of these folks, that's a huge pay cut. So it really is, in my opinion, about, you know, the brotherhood and sisterhood of, 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 uh, bargain labor of labor unions. And I love to see it coming back. Um, my mother was a part of a union. So and she was very involved. She was part of leadership uh, when she worked for the county of Los Angeles. And um, I remember going to meetings with her, right? And just hearing, you know, people's stories about maybe a position they didn't get that they were qualified for, or the fact that wages are stagnant, but the cost of living, especially in Los Angeles, was going up. And so I got exposed very early to collective bargaining and what that could mean for people. And sadly, I think what's happening is because everyone is struggling, like everyone, um, even even those of us who are financially stable, right? Like, you know, even I'm noticing like, dang, I got to like tighten my, you know, my belt a little bit now because of the cost of living increase. Um, I think people, people are gaining more camaraderie amongst amongst one another. So you know, it used to be like every man for himself. And I think we're realizing now that like, nah, we can't really be every man for himself because now if you're by yourself, you have no leverage. Um, so we have seen a huge boost, a huge increase in labor union activity and people joining unions um, and even in labor busting, uh, I'm sorry, in union busting efforts from companies like Amazon, um, from companies like uh, like Starbucks, even right, but we saw big wins at UPS. We saw we're seeing you know big wins even at Starbucks. We're seeing big wins at Amazon, and so yeah, we are we are putting at least I am putting my thoughts um, and potentially my dollars behind what's going on with the um, United Auto Workers because I really do believe that these companies cannot run without the people who actually create the shit. <laughs> when when you get to the to the bottom line, these are the people who make the things that the executives sell. And I can promise you there are very few executives that can go to those facilities, those manufacturing facilities and do what those people do. That's the thing. So it is nice to see them standing up and saying, like, literally, you don't have anything to sell without me. So you may as well give me my fair share. And it goes back to these companies making Huge amounts of profits. The CEO is getting huge pay. Oh, that's one thing we should point out. So one thing that the president of the union said was that they were originally asking for 40 percent because on an aggregate base, that's how much the CEO pay went up. 
40%. So he's like, if you can give yourself 40%, you can certainly give us 40%. Love it. Use their own shit against them. So shout out to the, the labor union right now. It is um, just three, uh, three facilities still on strike, but there has been a, a warning shot fired to the big three executives, letting them know that if they do not um, move forward with negotiations and talks, at least wave a flag of a maybe um, that they will expand this. And it looks like that the folks on the front line, on the picket line um, are more than happy to be out there fighting the good fight and taking a $500, um, $500 a week home. So, I mean, shit, we got food at home, right? We can, we can eat at home for a little bit. We can cook our meals. We did it during quarantine. So, all right, y'all. And that's the, that's the five stories I got for y'all today. Um, so yeah, like I said, I appreciate y'all hanging with me. We are going to take two weeks off for the green route. I will actually be moving out of this space crazy enough and um, into the Sour Kids studio. Yeah, so into um, the Sour Kids studios up um, up north in uh, North Dallas. So super excited about that. Um, I want to shout out Kenny and Great Black Century for all of the work that they are doing to help me get that space ready. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. So we'll be back with a brand new set of co-hosts, guests, and I promise y'all I am going to get DJ GS back in here as a reoccurring co-host because I know I miss him, y'all miss him. Um, GS had a lot of stuff that he was getting off the ground um, for his media company, but we talked uh, last week and, and we are ready. So we will definitely make sure that me and GS are back together, uh, back teaming it up. And then, of course, you all will see Great Black Century and a few others rotating through. But, yeah, I appreciate y'all. I'm going to get out of here. Um, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe. Tell your mama, your pastor, your mechanic, all of them about the Green Route. The Green Route, excuse me, at the Green Route Pod um, on all social platforms. And then my handle is I drank politics um, on all social platforms. So, yeah, y'all be good. And um, I'll talk to y'all later. Still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge.